Welcome everyone to Pen Pen Pals for our penultimate episode about Madoka Magica. I'm Alex. Hi, this is Blixa. Hey, it's Ben. And this week we are covering episodes nine and 10. Very excited about that. And very excited to have an enthusiastic guest with us. Please welcome Kai. Hello, and thank you. I'm very enthused to be here, honestly, and I'm honored that you would uh, request my commentary on some of these episodes, these wonderful episodes that we're going to be talking about today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Um, so we found you through, I'm sure our Blix have found you through some of your coverage of Madoka. So what kind of a history do you have with the series? Is it like a long experience with you? Is this your like second time or how many times have you watched this thing? Honestly, I've literally lost count of how many times I've watched Madoka Magica all the way through. I suppose I should tell you the entire history that I've had with uh, anime criticism and magical girls. I run now a YouTube channel at youtube.com slash clear and sweet. And the reason why I assume you invited me on is because I spent 16 and a half hours going through every shot, every theme, every uh, choice, directing choice of Puella Magi Madoka Magica, as well as a bit of rebellion and um, explaining them from the perspective of a magical girl fan. The level of depth that I went into on that, I think was really edifying and really, really hit a lot of people. And um, I think Madoka Magica is a series that really rewards that. But I'll start back at the beginning, I suppose, when I was... So can I can I affirm you just really quick here? Uh, so I, speaking of affirmations, I do want to affirm your work because I watched your videos then going back to watch Madoka a second time, having this new lens, like things that maybe were subtle just jumped off the screen, a much more rewarding experience. So thank you. Thank you for your efforts. I'm so glad. I'm, I'm, I really try to bring that experience, that exact experience to people. I've also talked about the disappearance of Haruhi Suzumiya and the adolescence of Utna. There are two films that I think really do have that level of depth and complexity as Madoka Magica. Uh, and I, th I get comments all the time of just like, this helped me see it in a different light. And that's exactly what I tried to do. The perspective too, I was listening to a couple of the earlier episodes of Ben Ben Pals uh, talking about Madoka Magica. And I'm so happy that your guests all kind of universally said that I they began watching uh, Magical Girl anime with Sailor Moon on Toonami back in the day. And of course, that's the start of my story as well. And I distinctly remember being 12 years old and watching Sailor Moon R, The Promise of the Rose on Toonami in 2001. And yeah, then kind of forgetting about anime or an anime in general until, you know, I was 22 years old and in college. And I said, wait, why did I like Sailor Moon? Why did I like it in a way different than something like Power Rangers that I also watched when I was 11? And uh, does it still hold up? And then my entire senior year of college was skipping class to instead watch Sailor Moon, all 200 <laughs> episodes of Sailor Moon, you know, three times through. That's tremendous. Yeah, so... That kind of set me down the path and that and um, talking, learning how to do textual criticism, I guess, from from college a bit and then uh, kind of wondering why Sailor Moon still held up. Um, yeah. And I didn't really come across the answer that I was looking for until I started watching other shows in the magical girl genre. And that extended to things like um, 
following the career of the people that made Sailor Moon, so it's, it's stuff like uh, Revolutionary Golutna uh, with um, mm. Kunihiko Ikahara, but also uh, Princess Tutu and uh, Junichi Sato and uh, everything that he did after the Magical Doremi, stuff like that. And really get diving in deep to that genre and then finding out that there was something there that was meaningful to me that really matched my worldview and really rang true to me. And then <laughs> that was the that was the winter of 2011 or the end of the spring of 2011 and Madoka Magica started airing. That's magical. Yeah, I, I do yeah. have a question. So like that college experience, like were you surprised to find it like Sailor Moon, like had substance that you could dig into? I did because, uh, you know, when you're 11, you don't have the capacity to think critically in that way I, or 12. And, you, and you know, I attach to the aesthetics. There's something about the aesthetics that I think a lot of people find interesting. I have a, there's a lovely book called um, Her Eternal Guardians that the, that interviewed just a bunch of Sailor Moon fans and then compiled all their an- anecdotes into why you like the magical girl genre. And there's people that really needed a fem- female empowered superhero back in the day when there weren't any on TV. And like, totally, that's a, a absolutely justified. Uh, for me, it's it's never really been about that or the aesthetics or, you know, the transformation or, or f- female empowerment, but it's more about the themes, about I needed stories where love and justice triumph as mm. Yeah, I, I think that when I wanted to create that content for Motoka Magica, I wanted to bring forth that point of view. I wanted to specifically say, but Oka Magica is a magical girl show. Explicitly, like word of God, Gen Urobuchi has said that he studied magical girl shows. You know, Akiyuki Shinbo directed lyrical Nanoha before Madoka Magica. But also thematically, like it's best read as a magical girl show. And this shouldn't mm-hmm. be controversial. It's not like the show tries to hide it, right? But yeah. mm-hmm. I think so many people miss the or they come to Madoka Magic as their first magical girl show, or they miss the context of like, you should have seen all 200 episodes of Magical Dory Me or Sailor Moon or, you know, Heart Catch Pretty Cure before you've watched this. And it's the show is almost expecting you to have done that. Yeah, uh, 100% agree. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm surprised hearing that Sailor Moon actually like has substance. Just I think I've mentioned in my head, in my head, it's like girl Dragon Ball Z which mm-hmm. Dragon Ball Z, I mainly remember for kind of what a cash grab it was and like, you know, how they'd use the same cliffhanger, like three episodes in a row. You'd just be like waiting for the thing to finally happen. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I saw Sailor Moon for the very first time last summer, and I thought it was just going to be this fun little rompy fluff piece. But like there were so many episodes that just like left me in tears and like on the edge of my seat. Absolutely. And I think that that, you know, the mainstream Western perception of what a magical girl show and is and should be and in this extends to other shows past Sailor Moon, but certainly Sailor Moon as well, is <laughs> I do a panel of dark magical girl shows after Madoka Magica. And we talk mm. about things like Daybreak Illusion and just these really trashy shows, Spec Ops Asuka that are in magical girl sight. And it's just like, oh, uh, they missed the mark so much. And in that panel, I have this line of like, magical girl shows were always dark. They were mm. always dealing with these very complex and complicated emotions that uh, they never pulled any punches. And somehow in the West, we got this perception that it's all... <laughs> pink sugar heart attacks and 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 smiles but uh nah there's there's real emotional depth behind these magical girl shows that you know you, do, you don't see if you're not in there 
Absolutely. I guess there's the the idea that this is strictly a deconstruction, but I guess that's part of the debate. And I guess for Alex and Ben, you know, like Evangelion was a deconstruction, but uh, you can still enjoy it just on its own. Oh, sure. But like, certainly there's a lot more depth to appreciate if you're already familiar with the super robot slash real robot genres. Yeah. I think that's a hallmark of an effective deconstructionist work that you could watch it and be uninformed on what it's deconstructing Mm -hmm. and still in just let it wash over you enjoy it you know watchmen uh uh neon genesis this show i think the learning value of a deconstructionist show is something that we've touched on a lot in our show and it's a big debate is like you draw people in with something that they're familiar with that you they think they'll like and then you deconstruct it you you know you show them a side of it they hadn't thought about before Mm. so i have a speculative question for the two of you that haven't seen this if this is a deconstruction do you think love and justice is going to prevail i don't know i can't answer that question at least until we've watched these two because i don't want to say anything that's going to ruin ben's experience of these two episodes (gasps) oh ben what do you think speculate for us well, I, I'm 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 gonna use some meta, which is you know, Kai mentioned liking the genre because it's a genre where uh, love and justice do prevail, and he's a big fan of this show. So that that leans me in the direction of maybe we will get a some sort of a happy ending. All right. Well, let's find out what happens. I w- I was also about to say, are you using the Blu-ray rips because those are different than the original TV airing? I assume you would be. Well, we don't have access to that. Um, that the Anna Mellon link is um, ripped off of what was televised. Wow. Okay. So that's actually interesting. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. We've heard about the fences. Yes. Yes. The fences are big. Yes. All right. Let me read this and we'll get into it. Last time on Soylent Shoujo Sayaka, the secret came out. Kyubei's soul gem process was literally objectifying the girls. Kyoko shared her seemingly Christian origin with Sayaka. Her failing father's faltering faith community caused codependent conjurings from Kyoko. But the story sadly left Sayaka an unmoved and a non-union magical girl. Hitomi revealed her supposedly long-kept feelings for Sayaka's crush Kyosuke, further isolating our musical maiden and exacerbating her inability to be honest about her true feelings. Late that night, Sayaka faced off against a hydra-like witch with tree and stained glass imagery. She won by turning off her pain receptors, but that just shunts off her physical pain, right? Right? Sayaka's victory was stunning but short-lived as her nihilistic new path kept her from utilizing the grief seed. Homura intervened, offering Sayaka another grief seed, and then tried to kill her to spare Madoka the pain of watching Sayaka destroy herself. Kyubei brought Madoka to the wishing edge once more, but Homura filled his disposable body with bullets. Sayaka rode a train home and realized that witches aren't the only people in need of some killing. Kyoko tried talking to Sayaka one last time, but it was too late. She had already tasted blood. Witches are magical girls who have outlived their usefulness to Kyubei, and Sayaka is overripe with grief and hatred. Can Sayaka be brought back? Will Kyoko and Homura find enough common ground to take on Valpurgisnacht? Can someone on this show catch a break? Let's find out. All right. That was beautiful, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. So, were, were you watching it while it was airing, or...? I was, which is very specifically because in uh, March of 2011, uh, something very important happened. Mm. All right. Everyone got it queued up. All right. Three, two, one, play. (laughs) 
Magica Quartet. Why does it it's, say that? Uh, the Magica Quartet is the name of Shishinbo Genrobuchi, uh, Ume Aoki, the character designer, and um, one other person. I forget who. Oh, so it's like a production group. Yeah, they they the people that came up with the original concept of the show. Yeah. Because I, I noticed that for the first time. I was like, but there are five magical girls. <laughs> <laughs> the more and more I get into this, like the pastel, like color palette. And then I just noticed today, it seems like when the art goes pencil art versus what we're used to seeing as traditional animation, I haven't really picked up, you know, storytelling significance to that. But I noticed that it happens on and off. Mm. I was listening to your thing and uh, we need to talk about Gekidan Inukuri. Okay. The name of the people who do the papercraft animation. Awesome. Oh, okay. We should check in with Ben first, right? (laughs) Is your first time watching this? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess from the end, I was a little bit confused, um, but I guess Kyoko kind of sacrificed herself, did like a self destruct to defeat Sayaka, Mm -hmm. in part maybe because she was like in love with Sayaka or cared more deeply about Sayaka than she was letting on earlier on. Huh, that that makes a lot of sense. I couldn't place that. There was that like symbolic, it seemed, imagery where like the energy form of Kyoko kind of manifested as red. And then there was this blue Sayaka energy form and they kind of have this gentle embrace and then they kind of like swirl into each other at the end. That that makes a lot of sense, Ben. I hadn't put that together yet. My favorite shot of the show, definitely. Uh, also, it's, it's their blood. Octavia bleeds blue blood. Well, there was a scene in the middle where um, Kyoko was talking about Sayaka inspiring her, valuing the stories like that she wants true inspiration from and being able to tap into that again. Right. So there's something powerful there. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a complex relationship and not, and not yeah. surprisingly one that fans latched on to very, very strongly uh, yeah. because, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I think you can absolutely and the preferred reading is is some type of romantically, but also it extends far beyond that. Right. Yeah. Kyoko learn, remembers something about herself through her interactions with Sayaka and Sayaka's stubbornness. Yeah. Like whether it's romantic or not, you could call that love. Right. Yeah. You could call that compassion. And I thought maybe that Kyoko's little speech about the stories she was inspired by when she was young, that almost felt like the author speaking directly to the audience. Like you were saying earlier, Kai, like I didn't write this to punish magical girls. I wrote this because I love magical girls. Exactly. And that that line that you brought up already is is my favorite line. Aside from there's one in episode 12 that I think is the most famous. That that line of it'd be like one of those stories where love and love and justice this triumph or, or whatever, however you want to translate it. Uh, yeah, that's it, right? And if you ever boot up the Madoka Magica PSP game at the start of Mommy's Route, she says the exact same thing. She says, I loved watching those stories on televisions with the Champions of Justice. And yeah, it does feel like Enerobuchi saying, right? Like, mm-hmm. you remember those stories like Sailor Moon? <laughs> you know, Kyoko watched them, Mommy watched them. And, and clearly, mm-hmm. you as a viewer would be familiar with them. Yeah. Okay. So this is a real, I mean, there are no light episodes anymore. I don't know that there were light episodes in this show, but now we're down to, I don't know, the nitty gritty. Like we have to, we've set up the the structure of the show and now we have to collapse everything. Now everybody has to die or find catharsis or, or maybe both. 
But we also get this, maybe it's not the final explanation because I haven't seen it yet, but we get this like stark explanation from Q-Bay saying like, look, we're aliens, okay? <laughs> we're, we're not from Earth. We don't harbor ill will towards humans, but we don't feel any emotion. We don't love you. We don't fear you. We don't anything. So whatever the Q-Bay are, they are playing with humanity like lab rats, right? Like you don't hate the lab rat. You don't love the lab rat. But in order to figure out like the science or to do the process, you got to use the lab rat. So they're worried about the heat death of the universe. Mm. Yeah, and, and it's almost like Cubay is like an AI that mm. is like trained to only care about that one thing. And it's just like everything else is is meaningless. Yeah. Right? Can I say I was listening back? I'm rec- I'm doing a video on on you know AI and anime and the generative AI, um, where that's gonna Oof. all take us. And I went back to my episode four video and I said, you know, if there was some artificial intelligence or alien species that gets created in this sci-fi future, way in the future like happening within a couple of years now in our real life like, like, <laughs> yeah would, would they would they be emotionless or is empathy an emergent property from intelligence and i i wonder and i think that's why this show is so cool that it presents this idea of a you know hyper uh utilitarian viewpoint of the world uh, you know and, and that being the enemy right somebody that doesn't understand when he was talking to Madoka and, 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 and it says that, you know, why wouldn't you sacrifice a couple of your hundred billion to do it? And then Madoka says, well, then you clearly, you clearly do not mm. understand humanity. That being the final boss is, is just like, so, so good for what magical girls want to say about life and how you lead it. Yeah. Yeah. I I can I can even think back on like examples from other magical girl shows, like so many times where, the value of one person's inconsequential life or like the silly, you know, crush that some girl has on a boy or something is like the entire thing that catalyzes mm-hmm. the fantasy of the of the show that allows the the miracles and magic to happen in the um larger plot nonsense that goes on. I hate plot and I hate QB explaining the the Genarabuchi battery plot <laughs> thing. I, I just like hate it like you're supposed to hate it, but also hate it because yeah. I, it's just so antithetical to how I see the world and, and I think how humanity has to see the world. That, that was a big like exposition drop like a third of the way through and at first I was just kind of like, did we really need this explanation? But I, I guess as I like kept watching it, I was like, well, I guess it does like, I don't know, it sort of sets up like the stakes for everything and gives this explanation to this like very mysterious character. So I'm trying to think of like, I mean, it feels like right now, maybe the big mystery that's left is just how this is going to play out. Mm. Um, you know, it seems like we are looping back to that first scene in the the cold open but we've got a couple episodes so i guess the other mystery is like what's going to happen in these intervening <laughs> episodes because it it feels like yeah we know where this is going now well you know where witches come from yeah we know where witches come from we know what Bay is but there's a, a a special like apocalyptic event coming that's true yeah we got Walpurgis, a super dreadnought class witch mm-hmm. who is that yeah was was that a magical girl? Well, had to be some magical girl. Sorry, go ahead. In some ways, it feels like, you know, we're like setting up 
the obvious twist would be like it's Madoka is actually Walpurgis that somehow, Mm. you know, she goes straight to witch or something like that. Mm -hmm. I But I remember thinking that exact same thing when I, yeah, I, I yeah. do. Yeah. And, and I would also like to say that if anybody doesn't know, or you haven't brought it up yet, there is a fourth movie sometime coming in the future that does mention Walpurgis Nacht in its title. So maybe we'll get more information. Interesting. So, so this is ongoing. Is this, is this going to be one of those kind of like Evangelion, like they just keep rebooting it until people stop watching kind of a... Ooh, ooh, <laughs> ooh you could just get me started on my whole diatribe about um, uh, the fan, fan, how fan reception shapes an anime property and and you know how the the, the rebuilds of evangelion are meaningfully different than the uh, series of evangelion and how the, you can see similar things happen even in rebellion and how the show is received and it's just it's just a complete rabbit hole but no i would say the 12 episodes of madoka magica are a complete cohesive story that ends yeah mm, okay and i will push back on the rebuild movies oh. i do feel like i do feel like that's the end like there's not gonna i can't remember how you framed it ben but like keep on producing things yeah. as people oh, oh yeah and i, I want to say i loved your episodes on the rebuild i listened to those oh, and i thought those were, thank those you so were much. great and yeah that that final end of 3.0 or thrice upon a time just is like the most definitive period ending but if you think about like episodes 25 and 26 yeah i i think if they ever make more neon genesis that ano will not be any part of no that. Because he got his ending. Yeah. So I'm going to have a lot of like unpopular opinions or provocative opinions for these two episodes. Yeah. Okay. Lay some spicy bonus. takes. Spicy takes. All right. The most important part of this episode was the walk that Madoka and Hitomi were having. We've seen that scene dozens of times before. It's very slice of life. But um, when I saw this, it highlighted to me how Madoka is being more and more removed from her own life, her, her own adolescence. Mm -hmm. She cannot have a real relationship with her friend Hitomi anymore. And it's all because of external things. It's not Madoka just naturally growing as a teenage girl. Yeah. Well, and I feel like we kind of talked about this before where it's like, even before you sign the contract, something has already changed with Madoka and Sayaka where they mm -hmm. like have this psychic communication. They're like, yeah, in on this secret world that like no one else is. Yeah. And to your point, uh, Blixa, like um, these external sources that are taking uh, Madoka away from her slice of life, her, her life, the thing that's worth protecting, it's so poetically manifested that Kyoko is the one that interrupts their conversation. And she's like half a city away. Mm -hmm. She's literally external to the conversation. It's really wonderful. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of really strange image flashes in these scenes. Like uh, Madoka and Hitomi, they're walking along a stream and it's all pink and full of life. And then there's just these like cut shots of dead trees. Mm. And just like, what is this? And I still don't know what the water droplet thing was that they did three times. Yep. Uh, and is actually called back to in Rebellion when you, you kind of get a resolution to this. The water droplet symbol. Oh, cool. symbol. I, I will say a couple things very quickly. This, mm -hmm. uh, what it is, is uh, Akiyuki Shimbo. He did the boards for this episode as far as as far as I can see uh, in the research that I've done. And yeah, that's that's such a such a thing, right? Or, or a teardrop. Um, it's also calling back to Sayaka's water, uh, the semiotics behind Sayaka's being associated with water, and how her 
water falling or water dropping like the um mm. and episode eight the 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 water falling from the sky the big rain heavy stuff um the the battle in episode five the leaky pipes mm. the broken pipes dripping water um all the time she's she's you know bleeding and dripping and um, if you go back and specifically look for it, there's a ton of like falling water bits associated with Sayaka. And these are just the last drops of her life force hitting the ground, right? Oh my God. I, I think you just used the term uh, semiotics. Can you can you define that? Oh yeah, the study of symbols, right? Uh, as far as I understand Ooh. it. Yeah, it's just a fancy, I went to college way of saying, you know. The- <laughs> <laughs> we like $10 words around here. Uh, but I hadn't thought about that, those those splashes. Because the water is associated with Sayaka, maybe the drops are like, Madoka is standing here talking to Hitomi, but she can't stop thinking about Sayaka. That's the only thing she's thinking about. We had a previous episode where there was um, like the rings coming out of, like they were standing in the rain and we were were seeing like drops in a puddle or something like that. I'm trying to remember uh, when that was. I think that's the uh, the bus scene. Uh, in episode eight, when when Sayaka yells at Madoka, yeah, I think that's right. So maybe maybe it's you know calling back to like her remembering that that scene or something. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I want to bring this up before we forget about it. Is that we just watched the TV airing version, and the only well, there's a couple of little differences here. There's the unicorn and the mermaid symbology. You could go read the wiki page on that. I even I don't really Mm. fully understand that that they added in the blu-ray there's a lot of changes in the blu-ray but the biggest change for episode nine is that it contains a end song in the blu-ray version there is a a completely different not magia not calafina it is the voice actors for sayaka and kyoko singing a duet together Oh, that's so sweet. And it's beautiful. Yeah. So like this was pretty powerful. So Kyoko started out being introduced as a pretty nasty person and was pretty abrasive all throughout. You know, she had some personal breakthrough by, by virtue of knowing Sayaka. Like she sacrificed herself, like not to get the Sayaka witch's grief seed, but like to end her suffering or something. And to be together with her. Like, if we can't be together as friends in life, well, then I will join you in death because I feel that deeply for you. But just previously, she was talking about these stories of inspiration where, like, love and courage wins. And that's it. Like, she actually had a victory, like, existentially. Mm -hmm. Death isn't always a loss. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay see there it is okay so Cube in this explains to us we're trying to fight the heat death of the universe and you're like well is the heat death of the universe a bad thing doesn't that just mean it's the end of a long cycle and it's ready for the next cycle to be birthed isn't keeping the current cycle going as long as possible at the expense of everything else isn't that bad and Kyoko she takes the opposite approach she says I'm okay with my time on this earth. I am okay with what I have done here. I am ready to make an informed choice about this, which is, you know, informed choice at the the tender age of what is she like, 14? That's a little muddy. 
But like when we talk about the strain that these magical girls are under, this isn't a typical experience. They have the weight of the world on their shoulders. And so like we have to at least respect their version of whatever consent is, right? All right. So it's it's starting to come together in my mind, but it's like hanging by a thread. Like Sayaka has a lot of meaningful dialogue in this episode. Like Sayaka? You mean Kyoko? Kyoko? Kyoko, Kyoko. Kyoko Mm -hmm. talks to Kyube and like, can I save Sayaka? And he's like, I don't know, maybe. Like anything's possible. And then uh, Homura talks to QB at the end. It's like, no, it was never going to happen. It's like, it was a calculated sacrifice. We wanted to get Kyoko off the board. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. So QB is just a liar. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that was a question that came up earlier. Was QB like lying through omission or actively lying? So QB is actively mm-hmm. lying. And also claiming it doesn't understand the concept of lying. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, lying yeah. About lying. Which yes. is like, you're pretty good at it for like not understanding it as a concept. So to that end, you can never trust anything else that Kube says. And and yes. I think a lot of the Madoka fandom really goes off what like Kube says. Well, Kube says mm. this. Well, Kube says a lot of things. Yeah, Kube's unreliable narrator. Exactly. So then this conversation with Kyoko and Madoka, Kyoko is talking about like you have a, a, a happy family life and like how much that would suck to just throw that away for the sake of like fisticuffs and um, mm. people who fight, it's because you have no other choice. So then when I plug Kyoko into that idea with the way her story turns out, I guess her attachment to Sayaka was like the thing that mattered most, which is so weird because they were so contentious. I, I guess I wonder if maybe, you know, has she shared that story before? Like maybe she felt like, okay, like I shared this story with Saka and she like she didn't agree with me, but she didn't judge me. She like accepted it and like, you know, like Saka kind of like apologizes to her for like misjudging her and is like, okay, I see where you're like coming from now. And and maybe that was really like the only connection that that she's made. I, I think it feels like all of these magical girls are very lonely. Um, and we know yes. that Kyoko has lost her her mentor recently too. Kyoko says that right before she sacrifices herself, that Sayaka like is lonely and you don't have to be lonely anymore. And oh wait, okay, that's what it is. That's that's why Kyoko did it. As she said before, like she had no other choice. Like, this is what mattered the most to her. So that sacrifice was the only choice for her. Is that too abstract? No, there's so many, so many things that I want to say, and I'm going to forget like half of them, I'm sure. But you guys are right on it. And you, I, I love that you're kind of working back towards the themes of the magical girl genre in reverse. Because Madoka Magic is a show where you don't first build up all that togetherness and that uh, those bonds that the characters form, that's deliberately wiped out. There, You said this. there are no slice of life bits or or like uh fun episodes and that's deliberate you know <laughs> there's only the plot in this show and you're supposed to think about like man why isn't there any girls bonding episodes or anything the other thing i want to say is the using the magical girl power and who you are to confirm what you want onto the world or the, your agency as the magical girl yeah the the idea that a wish in some way is or it's been portrayed or, or the making the wish and becoming the magical girl is somehow this reduction of self that you lose a normal happiness. And yes, mm. that's true to some degree, but it doesn't have to be true. 
or it doesn't have to be entirely true, that you can still create some new happiness on your own if you can just see the way to get there. There you go. And and usually that's with other people or through other people or together with other people to rely on. And it's very deliberate. There's a quote from Genarabuchi saying he didn't want to include Matoka's family, but he had to. It was absolutely mm. necessary. And I think it's very obvious when you look at the other four girls who are orphan, orphan, oh. uh, you know, missing family entirely and whatever question mark with homebrew, right? There are, there's nobody there to console them. There's nobody there to stand with them. And that's the emotional hit here is that even if it's in death, even if it's with their last breath, Kyoko is has found the value that she wants to d- devote her entire life towards is supporting Sayaka and, and mm-hmm. giving her someone to be together with even in death. Did we get Sayaka's family backstory I don't think we ever saw anything about her family. She lives in an apartment building. Yeah, we see Madoka like buzzing her apartment, right? And like talking to some parent, but we don't even hear the parent's voice. Yeah. There's no no character for Sayaka's parents in this show. Yeah, that's sad. I mean, that kind of feels like a message too, though. Totally. Can I ask uh, a question to you guys? Sure. Yeah. I want to know if you believed Kyoko when she said it would be like one of those stories where love and justice win. I, I want to know going into the fight with Octavia, the witch's name is Octavia von Seckendorf, if you thought that Madoka and Sai and Kyoko would be able to turn Octavia back into Sayaka. And Alex, you just watched this this week. Uh, ben, you just watched it now. Did you think that was going to happen? Yeah. I, I thought that there was like a, a possibility, yeah. Um, or Or at least maybe that we'd get some sort of resolution where we would hear Sayaka's voice from the witch or something like that. Yeah, I, I going into the fight, I definitely thought that they could do it. And I thought maybe Madoka not being a magical girl and just talking to her, trying to reason with her emotionally, that would bring the Sayaka out, right? And and I I really did believe that there was a possibility. But the the fight ends up being Kyoko's Kobayashi Maru, right? It's this no-win scenario. And she says, oh, I have a way to win. Yeah, And it's to sacrifice herself. I, I feel like you did see the witch sort of like waver a couple of times as... Mm, there was like some it. kind of silhouette thing in a couple of the frames. Did anybody see that? Yeah, was that Sayaka or was that Kiyosuke? Because the violinists were no. Kiyosuke. Kind no, of. I don't mean that, but like there was a massive like sort of shadow on like the dome of the uh, theater. Oh. Uh, I was just like, is that the remnant of Sayaka? I think the shot for me that gets that home is uh, is the right before the big explosion thing. There's this one shot of just Octavia's eye, and you can see Kyoko's uh-huh. thing reflected in it. And you can kind of like, if you look at that shot more, if you go back and look at that shot, you're kind of like, and what she's saying at that second of you don't have to be alone anymore or whatever, you know. Mm. And it, it's like, did that reach her and i i worked back from that when i was looking at this episode and this is this is one of my favorite episodes of all time in all of anime and i i go back from that and i say why did their attempt fail because from everything i know about magical girl shows i think that could have worked mm-hmm. and if there's actually literal uh canonical evidence that it could have worked and i'll share that i'll share that with you yeah. after this but the the whole idea that madoka and kyoko had the right idea 
but they did mm-hmm. not execute it well enough. Okay. They didn't say the right things. And if you listen to what Madoka's saying, she's like, Sayaka, you wanted to be a hero, didn't you? And like, no, that's, not, that's really. not her issue. She wanted someone to love yeah, her, exactly. but she couldn't admit that to herself. Right. Or or, mm. or you wanted somebody to say that your your time was valuable or, you know, there's a million different ways of what they could have said and, and thinking about what the right answer to say was. But if you go back and listen to what, you know, Kyoko says, you believed in your power, didn't you? It's like, no, mm-hmm. that's not it. But then she says it right at the end. And the, then you get that feeling of, oh, wait, that was it. Yeah. And now I'm struck by the poetry of the similarity of the names Kiyosuke and Kyoko. That like she wanted this from Kiyosuke, but she couldn't get it from him. But she could get it from Kyoko. Ooh, that's mm. good. I like that. Oh, wow. I just wanted to ask one question and see if anybody else had insights because I couldn't figure it out. The design of Sayaka's Octavia, or the, the witch, really fascinating, but it had like fly eyes and like i got the wheels and the train imagery kind of but i couldn't find any reason for the fly eyes and i was just wondering if anybody had anything for that well i think it was reminiscent of like compound eyes but like i think the overall shape is like again another like catholic relic Okay, I could see that. That makes sense. And then that makes it a good target for Kyoko because of her past with her father, if it's a Catholic Mm -hmm. symbol. I guess the part of that combat that was, I mean, again, evoking religion, Kyoko has a low moment during the fight and says, like, please, God, like my life sucked. Let me have a happy dream just once. And who, like, what is the divine intervention? It's Homura. Like, that's really interesting. I, I, I kind of just see that as like Kyoko falling back on believing in things more than the here and the now. And, you know, sure, but religion. there is an intervention that happens. That's true. <laughs> I like that reading. So, you know, yeah. there, there's always that question of like, what does make something divine? Mm-hmm. And we still have a lot of question marks with Homura. All right. Well, should we get to the next episode and then? No, no, no. Two things. Two things. First, I all must. Right, right. Uh, I must insist that we talk about the Magia Record. Magia Record is a side story of Madoka Magica. It takes place in the same universe, and it's based on a mobile game. It's not really relevant. This second season of Magia Record, the first episode, deals with Madoka and Sayaka and Homura and this exact circumstance, and it just straight up shows how Madoka could have talked Sayaka down from turning into a witch. Oh no, yeah. that's even sadder. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. it it's it literally plays out in in a different timeline in another yeah. alternative world fiction circumstance or anything. But yeah, that's yeah. that is a thing that exists. I, I did go find that frame you referenced of uh, Kyoko in the reflection. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, it's great. I had it all as a wallpaper for a while. Oh, that's that, like self-punishment. That the blood mixing together and this very famous uh, fan art of um just Kyoko with her spear next down next to her and then holding uh Sayaka's naked body as they turned uh, you mm. know, like the scene that just didn't happen in this episode. But there's a, a very mm. famous fan art of that mm-hmm. actually happening or that future that could have happened. Uh mm, the last gosh. thing I wanna I wanna ask is like bend your predictions for episode 10 you get you gave us a little bit already but like <laughs> I, I don't have any strong predictions i do think one of the it feels like this has been a pretty efficient show and mm. so the i feel like the moving pieces that could kind of come as surprises are you know something happening with like madoka's parents 
um, or something happening with the friend, that there's something from sort of the real world that comes back and influences things. So yeah, good predictions. Cool. Any other last thoughts? No, thank you. This is a lot of very interesting stuff. This is great. Okay, Ben, whenever you're ready. All right. Three, two, one, play. So it's ending with the opening. I think it's important to look at the subtitles on this opening if you have access to them right now. Oh, okay. Is it different or is it what it's always been? It's what it's always been. Oh my gosh, it's about Homura? Yeah, yeah. The story, the title of this anime has always been Puella Magi, Homura, Magica. Oh my god. And we thought it was Sayaka. No, it's all yeah, of them. Thank you. They, thank it's an ensemble you. piece, no, and that's literally what was said the last time we you're, recorded. You're, yep, you're meant to see it as systemic, as this is just a story that happens again and again to all of them. How do you break that cycle? So that's what I thought the wheel imagery was on the last episode, like trying to break this magical girl witch cycle. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. It's real good. I'm I'm not a fan of time travel in general. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of stories just don't use it very well, mm-hmm. but I think this one did it really well. Okay. So I really want to hear what Ben makes too, of all of this. So this was great. I mean, my prediction was completely off, but it, you know, so it was sort of like, I thought we were leading to the final episode, you know, this thing that we saw in the cold open. And it was sort of like, well, what are we going to do for two episodes until we get there? But then we just had this like complete out of nowhere, but not out of nowhere, right? Like they mm-hmm. have foreshadowed that there was this other timeline. And yeah, so we, we got there two episodes early instead. <laughs> it's a very tragic story. I also liked then, like you get the surprise, the first surprise of like the timeline reset. And then that it's not just the second time around, she's awesome, but <laughs> It has taken many iterations to get there and um, seeing that progression was really cool. And and then also seeing, you know, the different characters interacting in these different iterations where they are working together as a team and stuff. The Mm -hmm. one that we've been watching is like so far down the line where like in some ways, like nothing is going as it's supposed to. And yeah, I don't know. It was very cool. Now I have like absolutely no predictions. I have like no idea where <laughs> well, where the story say, is going at this point. I want to say, hold on to some of the thoughts that you had in your prediction. You said they were all hmm. wrong, and maybe they were all wrong for episode ten. But you never know what might come back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the two of you said, "I think Homura has done this hundreds of times," which, like, okay, that totally makes sense to me. How precise she is, how whatever. But also, she just has time powers, so she could just be getting good at stuff by stopping time and going and looking at the answer and coming back. And like, she doesn't necessarily have to have perfected every moment to seem so confident in this iteration. So I think it's five revolutions and that what we're watching, Madoka Magica, is the fifth iteration because... What we see in the episode, if you count the times they actually explicitly show it resetting, Mm -hmm. it resets four times. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a new game plus cycle. So you've got your base thing where she doesn't become a magical girl until the very end. You know, then is the time that she is a magical girl from the beginning and, and things start to change. And on the final one, 
Uh, that's the one we're watching now. The reason I think it's the fifth is because uh, there are five magical girls and five is a pretty holy number when it comes to this genre and also uh, witchcraft. Mm. Uh, you know, if we go back to the the Greek elements, uh, fire, water, earth, and air, there's oftentimes described a fifth element, right? Aether or or the divine or something. And this is part of witchcraft. It's part of Satanism. It's a part of like a lot of different religious practices. And Mila Jovovich. Oh, there you go. Yeah, you have to kiss <laughs> um, Mila Jovovich at the end. There's the four material or, or yeah, material elements. Um, which I think are embodied by four of our magical girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that Sayaka is water, Kyoko is fire. I'm not sure about who among Mami or Madoka is earth or air. I kind of think that Madoka is air and uh, Mami is earth. She's the pragmatic one. She's the, you know, the rock that they can all study themselves by. She's the teacher. And then what's her name? Uh, Homura is Aether. She is the divine component, which allows us to overcome the cycle. Because without that divine inspiration, without being human and having thought beyond just the material uh, components that make up our life... There's no way to progress beyond this cycle to let another one take its place. Okay. I mean, it's not a hill I'm willing to die on. Yeah, I I, I like that reading. And I think there's enough there that you, you you got something going on. I just hope you're not too proud to abandon it if it, if it doesn't appear <laughs> you know, to be what's going on. But the one thing that you did say that I was kind of like, okay, I could buy into that is... Um, Homra, when you were talking about Homra and and how she she functions outside of the story, or or that I think about Homra as a fan, a viewer, a magical girl, somebody who watches a normal magical girl story, then can't take it and needs their happy ending. Oh. And her 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 active, you know, over the timelines, her active um, reduction of Madoka's agency into almost a non-character, like a, a viewer, you know? She goes from somebody who is nothing, who is just watching this these champions of love and justice to forcing Madoka to be a normal person. Mm. Because, yeah, their roles have essentially reversed. Like, you could almost mm. yeah. imagine Madoka going back on the end on her own and, like, being like, I'm going to save Humura and, like... <laughs> could imagine that, Basically you? just, like, switching it around. yeah. And that does take away some of Madoka's agency. But the thing that justifies it to me is that Madoka did it first. Before Homura decided, I'm going to make sure Madoka never becomes a magical girl, she's already gone through the iteration where the two of them are lying there at the end. And Madoka lies to her. She says, I don't have any grief seeds left. And then at the end, she touches her. She's like, I love you too much, Homura. I can't let you die or become a witch. I'm going to sacrifice myself to save you taking away Homura's agency. Exactly. Yeah. And so Homura responds in kind. Yeah, that they, that they that I love that, the duality there, that they love each other too much to let the other one uh, die. There, there was this interesting line that Kyubei said when she makes her wish the first time where she, he's like, oh, your wish broke entropy or like something like that, mm-hmm. which then it's like, wait, I thought... I thought the whole point of us doing this was like because of entropy, but if you can just use your wishes to like overcome entropy, then like, isn't that the much easier way to like do everything or something? I don't know. This is the thing. You can't solve logic with logic. 
then you can't it that's you know? <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. The, the error the arrow 404 does not compute you know that type of thing that being presented or like homer seeing something because of her passionate emotions that cube would never in a million years be able to see or that mm. when cube cube is not all knowing if, mm. if, even if it presents itself in that way or would like to be perceived in that way uh, whether that's functionally because of it cannot experience emotions or it's just not going to believe in miracles and magic and the magical girls can do that ah, and uh-huh. the fight in this story is logic versus emotions versus what what feels right and what you versus what you can think and and reason out and I think in some way you can, can um, put those together with the characters of Homer as she is represented, especially in the uh, end of episode nine and episode 10 versus Madoka and how she feels and how she she feels it's the right thing to go back to mommy's apartment in episode four after mommy has just died and how she feels that she needs to do these certain things or behave in these certain ways uh, and care about other people, even mm. if that's the factually incorrect thing to do but a magical girl show that's not the incorrect thing to do that's the correct thing to do and this show has just been limiting whether it's by the actions of Cube or the actions of homura now that she buys into this kind of uh setup and structure is just limiting that compassion from having any type of influence on the world mm. Well, I, I want to resolve my thoughts from our beginning of our conversation. I do like your perspective, Alex, because it's meaningful. Um, mm-hmm. It's a hard sell for me because um, it wouldn't make sense to me that Homer would be so good at so many things. Um, like at school, she doesn't seem to be using her shield thing to be like the best runner or the best mathematician. Mm-hmm. But also, I just don't think it would work to show us like hundreds of scenes of the the clock going backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, the main reason why I had a sense that it had been hundreds of times was like the montage we saw a lot of scenes like seemed to jump so much and like her personality shift so strongly. It just didn't seem like, like what, what is the time period here? It's like a couple of months, right? If I that. believe it's less than a month, a couple of weeks, uh, it ends on Walpurgis Noct, which is the night of April 30th to end of May, May 1st. Okay. And then Homer wakes up on the 16th. Yeah. So I think it's, yeah, okay. it's weeks. Like yeah. that's a really short amount of time to become like a savant. If you keep meeting the love of your life and then seeing her die over exactly. and over, I think you'd change a lot every two yeah, weeks. Yeah, wouldn't necessarily make you a great runner though. No, not necessarily. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. I Yeah, like her physical transformation doesn't make, oh no, that's why she's hyper competent. Because when she goes back in one of these cycles, she says, I'm not playing by the old rules anymore. And the first thing she does is she heals her eyes. Yeah. She says, I'm taking off the glasses. And I bet she does the same for everything. She heals her heart. She heals her weak muscles. She just magics herself into a better physical specimen. Oh, that's interesting. Unlimited grief seeds to do it with because she can go hunt down the witches before the other magical girls even know there's a witch there. Oh, wow. Gather all the resources she needs. So she doesn't necessarily need a hundred iterations. She just needs power, which she has in spades now. That's pretty heavy. I, I love that 
like so the magical girls make all sorts of stuff with their powers like especially uh what's her name mommy makes guns right yep. but hers are specifically like they're a very specific type of gun but um homura she just goes and steals stuff they're just real things that she takes right yeah um except the one thing that she makes herself which is the explosives which codes her as a revolutionary oh or a serial killer <laughs> or a serial killer <laughs> ben going dark i just i just want to say and i talked a bit about um like swords i don't know if you guys talked about swords like saika using a sword like a magical girl even using a sword is a bit transgressive mm. and there's a lot of um, references where magical girls turn down the ability to use a sword and mommy using flintlock rifles is like also a little bit inverting some tropes like that's a little weird but then homer just going and building a bomb and like learning how to build a bomb or stealing assault rifles is just like yeah she's got like a mini gun at one point yeah yeah like you know this was kind of strange like um i know this came out so many years before rising of the shield hero but uh, that anime introduced me to this idea of like the different weapons bearers. Like, so here in Madoka, you know, we have the sword wielder, the spear person, the archer, mm-hmm. the infantry person, mm-hmm. and then Homer is like the shield bearer, at least in Shield Hero. And I don't know if there's like some cultural template for this, like the shield hero turns out to be the most powerful one. I, I mean, I, we could very easily extend that reading to just be like the manifestation of what her desires are or like her her weapon that she chooses to have is a shield uh when she makes her wish and that could be because of her wish to protect madoka uh and and what does that mean actually like that you have these artifices of the guns that aren't native to you and that you found and and assumed into your persona but you're you're real at the end of the day the real thing is the shield and very important for next week for, I assume it's next week when you guys record. Oh gosh. Yeah. The weapons are very interesting. Like the choice of flintlock rifles, it almost like sets a time period here. Like imagine the period of time where a sword and a rifle could be seen on the same battlefield. And it's like the very beginnings of the industrial revolution kind of. Hmm. And I know I hadn't thought about this until you just brought it up, but each of their weapons very deeply signifies something about them. Mommy, her guns, they're cold, they're logical, mm. they are efficient and reliable. And when the shit hits the fan, she decides we all have to die. Oh, gosh. It's a good scene. Yeah, yeah. Sayaka is a sword. She's too close to things. She's too personal and she can't be honest with herself about how deeply she feels mm-hmm. right and what she wants uh what's her name uh Kyoko? madoka oh. oh my goodness the the arrow the one perfect shot mm. madoka keeps telling herself i'm not special at anything but for one two-week period of her life she's the most important person on earth because she's the one who can stop Valpurgis knock. And I love the one iteration, the one I guess that we see at the beginning that we're coming out of into this one, where she just becomes a magical girl at the very end to fight Valpurgis knock. And she condenses a lifetime of magic into one moment, one shot. And like, so the the, the bow and arrow is perfect for her symbolically. Uh, and then what's her name? Kyoko. Kyoko. How long is her speed? <laughs> She's so effective. She can cut to the heart of an issue and tell you the truth of the um, like emotional significance of a situation or a story 
but she's always at too far of a distance to make it work with Sayaka. Sayaka has to be close. That's amazing. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) There's an image of that in the fight with Sayaka where uh, Kyoko's spear is segmented and it becomes this like serpent that's as big as the witch. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. I love it. So much good mirroring. Yeah. Um, Homura's definitely still my favorite. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a, that's interesting. Well, I'm just saying that this is the episode. This is the Genrobuchi twist master stuff. This is the episode mm. that hit and uh, the internet blew up. This is the episode that Madoka Magica is known for. And okay. uh, there, there's, there's so much to say about it. But one thing that I definitely do want to say is that Immediately after this episode aired, uh, the earthquake and tsunami hit Tokyo. There was a giant <gasps> earthquake and tsunami. Hmm. And then episodes 12 or 11 and 12 were delayed for about a month that they didn't oh, air. Wow. So this happened. And then there was just so much time for everybody to sit here and think about all the implications of like what's going to happen. What what the. Uh, you know what we just saw what a guess at what's going to happen in episodes 11 and 12. It was yeah, it was a wild period. Um, because it's my duty to always compare things back to Evangelion. Um, Justifiably. So, so there was a, a scene in the last episode, which was Sayaka as the witch holding um, Madoka kind of in her hand, mm. you know, like could crush her, um, which is, you know, like Kawaru, Shinji and the mech and Evangelion. And I guess that image kind of goes back to King Kong, right? That's maybe uh-huh. that first person in a giant hand kind of situation. Mm. And then this episode, we have them kind of in the water with like the ruins in the background, um, which again reminds me of sort of the Shinji Kawaru, uh, where Kawaru is like sitting on the the rocks Mm -hmm. scene. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, is that like hearkening back to some famous image or something like that? Or is that familiar to you guys from anything else? Magical girl lore. I don't know that those are exact references to anything in particular there's there's wide scale you know planet-wide destruction at the end of season one of sailor moon uh, that type of thing i definitely get that Mm. feeling and and the endings are usually bittersweet in a magical girl show to i don't know that they all necessarily die at the end but it is kind of that feeling that you know sacrifices are made Um, Mm -hmm. so I, i don't know if there's anything direct reference like that yeah. I mean, I usually think of like deluge imagery as like global cataclysm kind of things. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Akira has some pretty prominent oh, yeah. sunken uh, city imagery or flooded city imagery. Um, that's as far back as I can think. But given, you know, Japan's uh, <laughs> yeah. like weather, yeah, like yeah, it yeah. may just be, sure. uh, yeah, hearkening back to tsunamis. But sorry, Ben, you had other points. Uh, no, 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 I think that was that was it. I was just kind of, yeah, it, it did remind me a little bit. Um, let me see if I can pull this up and send it. But have you have you heard of this thing of like they tried to come up with this uh like kind of sculpture that you could use to mark where you've buried nuclear weapons in case or nuclear waste in case something mm. happens. I have heard about this. Yeah. Yeah. How do you convey that to 10,000 years in the future that it's nuclear? Yeah, exactly. Active? Yeah. And they, they kind of came up with these like spikes uh, sticking out the ground as like a, a model and it sort of the, the way the buildings are kind of sticking out jagged. It, it reminded me of that. Oh, wow. Oh, that's fun. But, oh, not fun, but yeah. Uh-huh. But yeah. Fascinating. 
But yeah, maybe um, just sort of like a maybe more a synesthetic thing of just certain shapes being like very like dark imagery or something. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, so since we're talking about that scene in the sunken city, I have one prediction to make Mm -hmm. and i don't you said something that makes me think that maybe it's not true uh or maybe that we don't know the answer to it but i think valpurgis knocked is homura oh because two things when they're lying in the water uh in the broken city uh the water is all homura's color and like, yes, it's her moment. So maybe it's just symbolically like this This shot is filled with her emotion. So maybe that's all of it is. But also the witch in the sky, there's like an kind of an upside down witch image with uh, a dress on. But the top of it is this clock gear. It's this oh, no. rebel constantly yes, revolving that. gear. God. And it, I didn't notice it until this time in the episode. There's a shot where she's kind of abstractly walking through time or something. And it's the same thing underneath. Uh, I don't know if it's exactly the same, but it it evokes the same. And in quality. her house as well, there's multiple gear uh, symbols. Yes. Oh, oh yeah. God, I hope you're wrong. No. That's too <laughs> horrible. That, that doesn't ruin anyone's experience. But mm. that's my uh, strong prediction. I did have one come true. Yeah. Oh, it was that Homura's wish was to switch places with someone. Nice. Uh, Kai, I... you were going to say something? Yes. Uh, I remember that was something that a lot of people raised after episode 10 air. That was That is a prediction. Mm. Uh, and it goes along with the uh, shape. The shape of Walpurgis Noct is an, kind of an inverted triangle, or it's very big up top and then very slim on the bottom. And this mm. reflects the shape of Krimhild Gretchen, which is the name of Madoka's wish or witch, so that they would form a hourglass figure mm. and uh, put on top of each other. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. Brilliant. So, <laughs> okay. Someone did mention Gretchen earlier. I don't know the significance of that. Yeah, I don't know this significance either. I just like the name. Oh, do you? Okay. No, no one. Uh, I, this is something we need to talk about, and it's huge, huge thing that you've already talked about already on the podcast. But uh, the, okay. do you know what happens in the story of Doctor Faust and Mistopheles? Do you know how that ends? Refresh us. Okay. <laughs> I just know about the wager. Right, right. So that's most of what everybody knows, right? Yeah. yeah. And I don't know if I don't even know if you would consider this a spoiler because it's you know it's like super old German uh, uh, story. Doctor Faust does what he does, and he goes and lives his life of hedonism and everything. Mm-hmm. And the the other character in the story is a woman named Gretchen, and uh, she being very pious. And does not abandon her faith. And then when Mistopheles comes to drag Dr. Faust off to hell, Gretchen prays to God and redeems him and saves him. Hmm. Okay. It's, it's kind of like the ant and the grasshopper myth. Do you guys know that one? Well, I know like the grasshopper's lazy or whatever. Yeah, right. and the and ant's the, working the ant's and then, you know, winter comes and... You know, the ant saves the grass. There's actually two versions of the myth. And one of them, the ant saves the grasshopper. And it's kind of like, I hope you learned your lesson. And then the other one, the ant just leaves the grasshopper to die. It's like a, a tough love message. <laughs> so, oh, that's what I was taught in elementary school. <laughs> yep. That fucking 
lazy ass grasshopper <laughs> dies. But that's that's it. That's everything. That's everything about the magical girl genre. That's everything about life. Is just that mm-hmm. one thing of what do you think this story is going to end? And what story? What ending? If you're Homer or Minoka, are you going to write for this oh, story? Wow. What what mm-hmm. path are you going to take? Which values are you going to empower? As Genarabuchi, as Akiyuki Shimbo, as Shaft. Who? Which of those endings? is going to happen in eleven and in episodes 11 and 12. Right. So in Kyubei's explanation of this world, he says that there's something that's special about kind of like teenage girls, right? Mm-hmm. But if you take it very literally, it like feels like this sh- should have been happening for all time, right? Like this isn't like a new thing that like now there are magical girls in this universe, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. So anyway, I, I guess now, like, I'm, I'm maybe using a little bit of what uh, you were saying, Kai, about you know not, uh, not discounting the predictions too much, but it does make me wonder if you know the the mom has like a history as a magical girl or something, like you know if it's just like, oh, wow, if, if Madoka can just like actually like open up about what she's going through there are these like much more powerful people out there but but i guess maybe you lose the magic when you're not a girl anymore i don't know (laughs) but maybe there's some some wisdom that they haven't tapped into because they've just kind of kept all of their their issues they're trying to fix all their issues as like teenage girls Mm. oh ben oh ben that was all so (laughs) prescient that was like so good in so many (laughs) levels and i I want you to want you to hold on to that clip specifically for for your next recording and also just you know in general the one i want to address is uh yeah what does a what what makes a magical girl and and in some ways this is an just like evangelion or anything it's uh a story of adolescence it's a story of who you want to be and I think that it's very apparent in Homer's story in this episode of the sto- the struggle of adolescence is to find who you're going to be and what you want to manifest onto the world and the ability to do that when you gain the ability to do that, how, you know, grappling with that. And it's just amplified by the fact that there's magic mm. powers and, and space kittens and, 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 you know, the war, the stake of the, the fate of the world is at stake. But at the end of the day, it is. Humra, you are a nothing person. She starts out as a nothing person. And usually a, re- a wish is a reduction of self. But Homer is nothing to start off with. Her own words, you know. She's mm. And then she finds some inspiration to be not a person, but a shield, right? Like just, a, yeah. just somebody who does something for one specific goal. And that's better than where she was, right? It's not a reduction. It's an improvement. But it's still not a full person. And I think, too, the relationship of like, when does a magical girl not need to be a magical girl anymore? That's a beautiful, like advanced question in magical girl lore of what that means. We have a a season of a precure coming up where they're going to be adults. And what are they going to do there? What are they going to say? We just had a magical Doremi movie talking about what a magical girl value means in an adult world. And it's the, that question is just like, so, so you have to have, you know, 30, 40 years of magical girl uh, history to even arrive <laughs> at that question in a meaningful way. Mm. And it's very good. And it also is touched on a bit uh, in, in the rest of Madoka. So. Okay. I've got some, some deep thoughts that just sprung out of all that. All right. So it's not just teenagers, it's teenage girls. 
Yes. Like, so these aren't magical teenagers. Like the boys are going to grow into inherent patriarchy, uh, inherit patriarchy. Uh, and the girls are going to grow up and inherit misogyny. So when I think about this hero arc in that context, and like, when does someone no longer be need to be a magical girl? To me, it seems like when a girl can become a woman and be who she is, not dependent on external factors to define her like patriarchy mm -hmm. when she can just go up and she doesn't have to have a fight for the next generation where she can grow up and just be who she's supposed to be mm -hmm. and i don't know if the series is going to go there yeah that's what i want to say blixa have you ever seen revolutionary girl Luna? <laughs> i've only this seen the first episode <laughs> Because you are you are. I was listening to some of the previous podcasts, and I was like, "You're literally the thing you're talking about is Revolutionary Girl Ludna. That's what that story is, mm -hmm. and it functions so much better. Madoka Magica is adjacent to that, and it is gendered, of course, in, in a magical girl mm -hmm. way. But I don't think it really has the ambitions to talk about the patriarchy and and those types of systemic." Uh, things in the same way that Udna invites very heavily and, and like dwells in and muddles in a lot. So yeah. I, do, I don't think it's an unfounded reading. I just don't think it's super aligned with where I would say the gender of Madoka Magica is the values. Uh, okay. Like if you think about Dragon Ball Z or like, like a Tengatapa Gurren Lagann is the one I bring up in my, in my videos. It's just like a hyper-masculine show. I don't know if what you guys would think about when you think about a hyper-masculine show, but it's like, the power comes from inside like you cannot be stopped if you if you realize yourself and you you awaken yourself onto the world then all you ever needed was inside whereas a, a feminine mm. show or a feminine value and I'm, I'm gendering these values that rightly or wrongly just for the sake of this conversation but feminine values are community or accepting in seeing value in others and legitimizing the value of others and those fundamental things there's a fundamental difference between defeating the big bad with your power and then being compassionate and defeating the big bad with compassion. I dig that. I wish that was a more common sentiment, <laughs> but <laughs> that's, that's, I'll just say yeah. I'm not going to be disappointed. Uh, however, this show goes, I think it's going to deliver. I just appreciate that this story makes me think of those things. Yeah. I still have my provocative thing I want to ask. Yeah. Okay, so there are things, I think, in all the episodes that some people might look at and characterize as fan service. And we haven't really talked about that uh, in any of our viewings. Um, I have my own theory on that, but I guess I wanted to ask everyone else. I would jump in there very quickly and say, define fan service. Are you using that in the term of just generalized sexual anime content? Or are you talking very specifically about a more literal translation of fan service of like literally anything that could get the fans going that would be, you know, hype to a viewer? Well, there's an overlap there. Yeah, sure, sure. So like we've talked about it on the show and um, I think it was Sophie that said um, that fan service is something that takes you out of the story, no matter what it is, if it's like sexual in nature or something else. Uh, and I'd agree with that. But then like when it comes to if fan service is sexual, something that's gratuitous, like just for the sake of titillation. So I guess that's what I want to ask. Like when we see like booty shots or whatever, Homer's last transformation we saw was more detailed than just a naked silhouette. How did that, how was that received? Kyoko's too. Oh, right. Yeah. They, 
Well, I was going to say, it feels like they're sort of trying to like ride the line, you know, nothing like lingers, I guess. <laughs> so there mm -hmm. is stuff that's yes. sort of gratuitous, but it's there for like, you know, a 10th of a second and then it's gone. But, you know, if, if you're like the fan that's into that, I'm sure you can screen grab that yep. and, you know, make it your background or whatever. So I think like maybe it's good enough for the people that want it and then it's not as distracting for the people that don't. I can only bring one reading to this, and that is of someone who has watched many, many, many magical girl transformation sequences over the years mm -hmm. and ranging from very probably not okay. Like if you watch the Manoha films, those have like these egregious, like stark, naked, very young girls to the point where you're like, I'm uncomfortable now. I yeah yeah um and that that was part of the appeal of lyrical nanoha that they can, i i think it's pretty pretty well established or if you look at something like symphagear and good god the transformations on symphagear are titillating for lack of a better word yes they, they are designed to be mm -hmm. titillating mm -hmm. and you could go all the way back you could go back to you know melmo or, or or minky momo or just you know all those all those old mm -hmm. school magical girls that the history of them. I did a I did a tier list of magical girls. It's on my YouTube channel. And boy, just learning about the history of magical girls, it's steeped in like yeah. sexual objectification of the girls in a way that is like, nah, okay. okay. So you just said the keywords there, but like, what about Madoka? In, is, that, so, is that yeah. is that what's happening here in this show? So so in that way, I see all the transformations of Madoka, and I don't bat an eyelash. I, there's nothing here mm -hmm. that's that I even read as remotely sexual at all, or you know, objectionable because I'm so I, I see it as a genre thing of like they're just that's what a magical girl does is she blows off all her clothes in a second and then gets a whole new outfit come back on. And, you know, hey, I was I was sitting there 12 years old figuring out that I like girls because Sailor Moon is on screen, you know, or Sailor Jupiter's blood yeah. I see for two <laughs> seconds. Like, I get it. Um, but at the same time, I'm just like, that's not what it's going. It's it's just a reference to other magical girl transformation sequences in my mind. All right. Alex. So I this is something that our show is very interested mm -hmm. in, right? Like whenever it comes up, whether it was Neon Genesis or FLCL or whatever, we would talk about like, okay, what was the purpose of this swimsuit shot or this, you know, abstract, but basically a naked person shot? And I think that this show is doing essentially the same thing that Neon Genesis was doing, but it's farther along in that process. Because Neon Genesis, I think it has these titillating things, especially with Asuka and Rei, right? Um, and, and Misato. But um, I think it's part of the deconstruction aspect. It is luring people in who would come for that stuff anyways and hoping they go away with part of the message of the show, something more. And this show, it is, I think it's even less than it was in Neon Genesis. Mm -hmm. Like we don't have any swim. There isn't a swimsuit episode of this show, I assume. Mm -hmm. But we do get those split second and kind of abstracted, but pretty literal, like naked shots of in their transformations. And the reason that I'm charitable in my view is because I think that if they're going to put it in there, you choose your moment. And that was the moment because when it showed it to us in these two episodes, it was when Kyoko's entire character clicked. You went, oh, she has feelings for Sayaka. 
there's a reason she keeps trying to help Sayaka in a way that she's not focused on the other magical girls, right? Mm -hmm. And then Homura, when we saw it, it was that final time. It was that naked moment where you go, oh, she has, whatever you want to call it, romantic feelings or whatever. Like there is some bond with her and Madoka. And now, of course, a lot of her actions in the series make sense because for her, it's been that way this whole time. So I, I, I want to push back a little bit because I feel like in Evangelion, it's an important part of this story because you have Shinji as this like teenage boy that's dealing with those ah. feelings. Like, I think the other part of what you said is true, too, about reeling people in and then subverting their expectations. And so maybe Madoka has that in common. But to me, you could just cut it and like you'd lose nothing from this whereas i feel like it is an important part of the the story and like the relationships between the characters in evangelion <laughs> i strongly really? disagree oh wow okay okay boy i i have so so much to say about this i'm sorry <laughs> oh, it's just okay. seething just rocking back and forth because <laughs> well let me just say real quick, Ben, I I do agree with you, though. Like, it would not take away from my enjoyment of the show if that shot wasn't yeah. there. I totally agree. Okay. I disagree with both oh, of you. Sorry. Yeah. No, um, okay, I'm, please. I'm with them, too. You two can have the last words on. All right. Um, so I'm not saying that this is what it is. Uh, this is just how I experience it and receive it. Uh, I think it's a test. We have an upskirt in the opening sequence. We have Homer. No, I'm not Homura. Kyoko going back to her apartment and talking to Kyubei and has this crotch shot. We have like a lot of thigh being revealed in many scenes of like home holding Sayaka's body. Mm -hmm. So as someone who's raised children, you see them and interact with them in very intimate ways. And a loving, respectful parent can be a guardian of their child's innocence. And one who falls short can be exploitative. Now in this show, there's girls who are exploited, like, and specifically they're turned into commodities. They're consumed by powerful <laughs> beings, like way far above them. And I think, you know, like if a show is effective, it'll affect the audience. And maybe we can come away with this and be like, yeah, uh, objectifying and exploiting little girls is bad. And we all need to examine ourselves uh, to see what our participation in that is. And now in this show that we these characters we now know pretty well every time there's something compromising we have a choice to see them sexually or to see them as whole people so that's why i think it's important i respect this reading yeah i i get where you're coming from and i i i do think that would probably almost apply to more magical girl shows in general and probably better to other other transformations in the genre I just have extreme trouble sexualizing anything in this show or or the, mm -hmm. consuming it sexually just because it's not that arousing. Or I yeah. guess there is, and there is specifically look, keep that in mind or the idea of fan service and not just sexualized fan service, but like fan fan service or, or story fan service or character fan service too, but also sexualized fan service for when you watch Madoka Rag Magica Rebellion. Uh, the follow-up movie, which I assume you guys will will watch, because yeah. that could be Blix is something you could talk about. Okay. Well, I love talking about sex. <laughs> oh, so. so that's the thing too that I need to get out of here is I, I did a video on Beautiful Fighting Girl um, and the uh, Saito Tamaki's book uh, of analysis or psychoanalysis 
talking about consuming characters in anime uh, sexually and and like what that means and and the i used many examples including of course uh on the cover of that book is ray ayanami from neon genesis evangelion and that whole that whole inversion of the sexy time thing when on episode five i think it is where he, he shinji grabs her boob and then she's just the, no reaction and it's not sexy and like that type of thing i love the i love the inversion of the uh expected sexual thing or or using the fan service that the the, the viewer desires very specifically to put them in a mind and then invert it and i once again will say that very thing happens in uh revolutionary girl Utna very very well and very very uh meaningfully and impactfully uh also also kind of kill a kill is the other one that i always always comes to mind when i think about that specifically about how fan service can be used in the way that i i agree with alex and ben that it that it's kind of used in evangelion that's my that's my whole rant about you know consuming anime characters sexually and so some, something i was thinking and this isn't quite a, a full thought but just something i was trying to think about is you know so often in deconstructions you know there are these messages about the genre in general or sort of these like meta commentaries going on and so we have this plot here where there's this like alien creature that is exploiting young girls for this just like weird reason um and causing them a lot of like pain and suffering uh but not caring about it and i'm like trying to think if that you know i think we've talked about how that could be like a commentary on like different industries that exploit young girls but you know whether mm-hmm. that is kind of sounds like true. patriarchy to me well, the, the, another video that i've seen on the internet is compares it to capitalism yeah. and, and how corporations oh that just came up last yeah. week yeah. Yeah. so i'm trying to think <laughs> if, a, if, if is that kind of true in some ways of like anime in general or sort of like anime through its fan service is you know like continuing to propagate misogyny and stuff like that but it's just like mm. Well, it's the economy, baby. Like, you know, like nothing we can do about it. We need to generate this like energy and we get the energy from like, you know, the teenage girls. And that's just that's just the way the oh universe works, you know, like, yeah. I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. We could we could do a whole podcast about art under capitalism. And, you know, you base a capitalist. Do, do I <laughs> the one thing that I come to mind immediately when you're saying all of that, Ben, and I don't know that it applies to Madoka Magica or like I would have to see a lot more to to understand that reading for this show but uh for me the one that always comes to mind as i mentioned kill a kill and kill a kill is like a show about decoupling sexuality from nudity hmm. and like that's a main theme that it actually does and it hits and it gets there and it like it does that in its story kill a kill has a lot of mistakes but it gets there with that one and then like a year later they were selling uh fixtures uh, figures of the two characters in in complete nude with just the towel in front of them and i was like yeah. that defeats the entire purpose <laughs> of the show that you just made like that's actually mm-hmm. actively antithetical to the point of kill a kill <laughs> and mm-hmm. it always it always gets me of like i don't know i don't have the answers for you ben yeah yeah, that sounds like a studio thing to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, that's that's what I, that's what Saito Tamaki talks about in his book, Beautiful Fighting Girl, of like holding multiple realities of the same character in your head. You can sexualize Rei Ayanami and cry for Rei Ayanami at the same time. There are many Rei Ayanamis within each other. That's, that's literally the plot of Evangelion, right? Like, yeah. 
Yeah, maybe the point was the Ray and I Ayanamis we met along the way. <laughs> well, uh, unfortunately, none of us are Homera, so we can't just take all the time we want mm. with this episode. So does anybody have any final thoughts they have I do, I to do, get I off do, their chest? I do, I do, I do, okay, I do. all right. Aoi Yuki. Aoi Yuki is the voice actor for Madoka, and we cannot escape episode 10 without saying that Aoi Yuki is impeccable she is probably the best voice actor in the last decade and her work in this episode is so good even from the beginning where she has to be like charming and and you know you need to want to feel like protecting madoka and you do it she's like ah you should live up to your name and just her reads are just so good and her raspiness as she lays dying I i read the commentary where they were like they they just cried, you know, reading this script and, and watching this, and they knew that they couldn't overact or it would feel faked. Mm-hmm. And so, just uh, Aoi Yuki, uh, she, she like I said, she goes on to do like everything in every anime. Um, you, and you, do and you know the, any of the other famous roles? Uh, well, in the magical girl space, uh, the Symphagir Hibiki, uh, she did the the uh, man, um, the spider isekai thing. She was doing that. She won awards for best voice actor for two separate roles in some award show in like the crunchy roll award or something for the same year yeah. i even I, you know i'd have to look up the rest of her roles aoi yuki is incredibly powerful shout out to aoi yuki awesome uh well fantastic we'll be looking out for her and uh, other stuff I think in Kai's intro we got where to find your stuff maybe uh, but it, do you want to repeat that yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can find me on YouTube at Clear and Sweet, like the Walt Whitman quote. And you can also find me on Twitter at Clear and Sweet. And I would highly recommend if you are interested in learning more about the either the magical girl genre or talking about Madoka Magica specifically, go check out my playlist of all 16 and a half hours of me talking about this show in depth. And, you know, trying to convince you to believe in miracles and magic along the way. <laughs> yeah. um, I also have a Magical Girl tier list video. Um, I've also done Sailor Moon, tons of Sailor Moon content, including an iceberg video for all the the deep lore on Sailor Moon. Or, so if you're interested, go check that out, too. And, and, and if you could recommend one series to people that love Madoka... Oh, yeah, I prepared for this question because you asked a previous <laughs> quest, uh, girl this. And there are a number of answers, right? The first just is one, as an advanced just magic. One. Just one. Uh, Princess <laughs> oh, Tutu is my other that's favorite. That's no fun. Oh, no, no that's, I have an answer. Come on, I have an ben. answer. I have an answer. Uh, Princess Tutu is my other favorite show of all time. Madoka Magica is one, but Princess Tutu is also one, one A and one B. Uh, and Princess Tutu is a magical girl show that uh, is more than a magical girl show, uh, but it's also just so involved with all these ideas and uh of uh complexity of what do you wish for and what how do you want to act onto the world and like who you are and, and and just so so many like meta narrative angles we didn't even talk about the meta narrative angles and diegetic distance in madoka magica you can go listen to my breakdown but that <laughs> same stuff happens in princess tutu um i'm gonna break your one rule here okay. and throw out a number of the uh wonder egg priority absolutely i think if you're looking for another magical girl show that is recent that is beautiful that uh deals in real real tough stuff and really makes you feel bad um 
Wonder Egg Priority is the thing. It's a it's a quality project. Uh, past that, you need to you need to have a background on the magical girl space. You need to go watch Hard Catch Pretty Cure. You need to go watch Magical Doremi. You need to go watch Sailor Moon. Absolutely, uh, do it. There's so much beautiful stuff there to love. Those are my recommendations. I love it. Is everyone ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. Pen. Pen. Pals. Love, Love and justice. <laughs> I don't know if we can. We're gonna fix it in post. <laughs> Dan, do you want to do it again? 